When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Ebony and Irony. In this entire episode, Monet Exchange and I are going to celebrate the recently departed comedian extraordinaire, Betty White, who sent shockwaves around the world when she passed a week or so ago, right before her 100th birthday. Many know Betty from Golden Girls, the Mary Tyler Moore Show, but we're very lucky to welcome Jim Colucci, who has written not one, but two, maybe more, (laughs) books about the Golden Girls. So this is a uh, super fan, super knowledgeable about Betty and the Golden Girls. The two books are The Q Guide to Golden Girls and Golden Girls Forever, an unauthorized look behind the lanai. Welcome, Jim. Welcome, Jim. Thank you, Bunny and Monet. It's so good to be here with you both. I have to say, it is so nice, Jim, that today we'll have someone, I I have someone on this podcast with me that's knowledgeable on things and actually knows what the fuck they're talking about. So I am truly, truly, truly excited and honored to have you here. That was thank you. That was meant to be a joke, Jim. I, sometimes I have to explain Monet's <laughs> jokes. Oh, it wasn't I mean, a joke, part, honey. It, it was comes, fact. It comes. <laughs> it, it, it's a fact. Okay, but let me check you, Boo. You ain't never seen Golden Girls, you young motherfucker. Monet, wait, wait, back it up, Monet. What? <laughs> I've seen some of the first season of Golden Girls. I have not watched the entire thing that is a that is also a fact what are you waiting for were you waiting for golden palace to be released on hulu and then you just binge the whole thing i mean what were you waiting for well you know i prefer golden showers but i will definitely try the golden girls for sure <laughs> well I mean, one is a lot healthier well, monet, is, it, monet is younger but i mean the, the the interesting thing about golden girls is that it appeals to so many different 
generations. And it, like Latrice Royale on the tour bus will literally watch back-to-back episodes of Golden Girls, you know, and it's great for a variety of reasons. You know, one is that all of the lead actresses were phenomenal. Two, the writing was great. And what, what, what do you, I mean, I, I, there was this, there was kind of like a game in the media checking in and and Betty White played it as well. um, Checking in to make sure over the last, you know, decade that she is alive because the other girl, golden girls had left us before she did. She was the last remaining uh, cast member. Yes. You know, it's what's so interesting about the golden girls is that first of all, it's a miracle, a show about older people ever got on the air. And that's a whole other whole story in itself. But when NBC was putting it on the air, they thought, oh, well, the problem is this show is only going to appeal to old people. And then they tested it with audiences and they found out that people across the board loved it, including little kids, because little kids identified with Sophia talking back to Dorothy. And so it always had this wide appeal. And what has happened, and I I, I maintain that maybe now the office will do this and friends will do this because they're on streaming platforms and everybody will continue to find them. But up until now, only I Love Lucy and the Golden Girls were in the club of shows that continue to recruit fans who weren't even alive when the show was on. So the, the funny thing, Monet, is that being young is no excuse for not knowing the Golden Girls because this is one of those shows that young people know as well because they've I, found it and it's been on forever. You need Everybody? to take away Monet's gay card. She it's has definitely, never seen the Golden Girls. It's Girl. definitely not an excuse. And I, I I, believe people when they say how great the Golden Girls is and the episodes I've seen, they are really great. It's just that, honestly, in, in this day and age, just, there's always something to binge, always something to watch. So I'm always like, I'm always playing catch up. Like, there are like eight, 18 different things I have to watch. And granted, when Golden Girls came out, I was very, I was I was just a young warthog. I was barely even a even a, um, a thought in my father's ball sack. So I will watch it eventually, but it's timeless. So I I have time. So one of the things that interests me about the Golden Girls, and, and I think this is one of the reasons why people idolize all of the four leading ladies, is that this was one of those rare moments, as you mentioned, I Love Lucy, um, All in the Family, where the writing, the Jeffersons, um, the, the writing really took center state. Good times, uh, the Jeffersons. Yeah, I mean, it... it, it the writing really took center stage. And maybe one reason why uh, kids liked it is that the humor is irreverent. And, um, you know, the, the, uh, so the, the, the ladies, though older, would talk about um, sex in a way that maybe younger women couldn't. And then when you try to reboot Sex in the City and those stars have gotten older and nobody wants to hear them talk about sex apparently anymore, but that's a different show. What I'm trying to say is that, so you remember the puppet, Madam. Oh yeah, yes. Madam. So Waylon Flowers and Madam, <laughs> by the way, with, 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 with murder. <laughs> yes, ex- exactly. Madam also hosted so- Solid Gold with Dionne Warwick. And um, oh. so, but Madam, Madam, like the Golden Girls, got away with a lot of risque stuff, presumably because, well, Madam was a puppet, but a puppet of an old woman. But the Golden Girls was 
older women making these really cutting jokes, mean jokes, I mean, jokes that seem to a gay person like this is reading, or jokes about sexual stuff that you really didn't hear in a sitcom before this much, right? Yeah, there's something in our culture that old people, particularly old women, are allowed, we, we think it's funny when they say things that we would find unacceptable or offensive or dirty, for, especially those of us who tend to clutch our pearls from younger people. And it, I mean, I think academics have said it's because older women are marginalized and they've already been somewhat ignored. And so it, it, that's the way they, that we can, can take them that they, we kind of, we've ignored them for so long that when they say something outrageous, we just say, Oh, isn't that cute? So perhaps that's why, but yeah, there's something about, I, I think it's also the license that you get from, from age because when we see these older women, when we see Betty and, and B and Rue and Estelle make these risque jokes, we know that those characters are supposed to have been around the block a few times and they know what they're talking about. And this is coming from experience. They're not just being smutty for the sake of being smutty. But like you, I do. But you, you, nope. but, but you, you pair that with something like, like to Bunny's point and just like that, with the new, which if y'all don't know it, that's the new reboot of Sex and the City. Um, and the women and, and just like that, they're supposed to be 54, 55. As, and you compare that to Golden Girls where they're supposed to be like 53, 54. So we have just such a different view of quote unquote older women than we did in the 80s and 90s when the Golden Girls was on. Right. Yeah, and in a way, it's a lot better because Rue was 51 when the Golden Girls started, and the wow. other women were all about 62, 62, 63. Um, oh, I, and, and, I, they, I, and you're right, Monet. Jim, I love Rue. McClanahan. <laughs> Rue McClanahan was 51, and uh, the other ladies were about 62. And uh, it's amazing what the difference is in generations between what we viewed 51 as then and what we view it oh, as yeah. now. You know, back in, 15, in 1985, Rue at 51 was a golden girl. It was like she was out to pasture already and so were the other three. And now, luckily, I think that for the changes for the good that we have movie stars, women movie stars who are in their 50s and 60s who are still icons and are still hanging in. Yes, ageism exists and it's harder for women, but things I think have gotten a lot better where you don't have to be a golden girl to be in your 50s. But maybe that has been part of the reaction to and just like that because because they haven't we, we feel that these women uh, and just like that are still vital they haven't earned that license of being marginalized old ladies who get to say outrageous things and it's cute maybe we still are at the clutching the pearls phase because they seem too vital and in it yeah well i, I mean i didn't see just like that uh the sex in the city reboot but i didn't really well, watch sex you'd loved it yeah, it's, it's great. It? I'm, it's, it's, I, love oh, it. I love it. Yeah, I love it. Oh my god, Jim, do you like you like you you like Sex and the City, and, and you also like the reboot? Oh yeah, I love Sex and the City. I like. I still will. It'll be way too late at night, and I'll be about to oh, turn the same. TV off, and I'll go by E, uh -huh. e channel, and they'll have them on. And they're even the kind of ones where they boot out the, the uh -huh. naughty words, and I still I still get sucked in and watch a couple hours of it. Yeah, and I really love the reboot. I, 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 I know it has its flaws. I agree with some of the criticisms of its flaws, but I really think that it is showing a new phase in their lives, in their 50s, yeah. and some of these things do happen in your 50s. Agreed. Except for how they're making Steve like he's senile. Steve is like supposed to be 51. He, he can't, he's like, huh? He can't hear anything. He's blind. I know, I it's a little bad much. For Steve. You're right. Yeah.
Steve's getting a raw deal. Yes, I agree. Well, I want to know. So, when did you fall in love with Golden Girls? Did you watch like the season premiere? Like, were you like watching? It, it, Golden Girls is advertised on back then. I don't know what um, in the '85. I don't know what channel. Oh, it's NBC, right? Advertised on NBC. Were you like, oh, I'm gonna tune in and see if I like this, or were you a late bloomer into the into the Golden Girls? Monet, I'm gonna tell you a story about the olden days. <laughs> Back in the olden days, before there was the internet, uh-huh. you had to use these things called newspapers oh. to get information. And newspapers. I was a little 15-year-old gayling, uh-huh. and I'm here. I am, you know, actively scouring the TV pages that came with the Sunday paper. We didn't even get TV Guide magazine; we were too cheap. So <laughs> I would. Every week, scour that TV Q&A that came with the, the newspaper. And one week, I remember reading that there was this pilot called The Golden Girls. This would, would have been spring of 85. Mm-hmm. And it starred what was basically a super group of women I'd loved from other shows, from the Mary Tyler Moore show mm. and from Mama's Family and Maud. And I thought, oh, my God, they're putting these people together. Now, even then, I thought it was a little strange that that women, older women, who I thought were amazing – were getting to do have their own show because it didn't normally happen. I even noticed that then. But that's another reason why it was so exciting. Oh my God, I think these are the most amazing women on TV and there are other people who think it too, apparently, because they're getting their own show. So I followed the news of that show. Every time I got a little nugget in the newspaper about how it was going uh, all through that summer. I So I, by the time it premiered in September of 85, I was right in front of the TV waiting for it. God. And so I was a fan from even before moment one. Word. <laughs> And uh, the the you know you said something earlier I wanted to touch on because you, you know old ladies are you know allegedly accepted saying dirty stuff because they're marginalized. Is it because they're marginalized or is it because they no longer give a fuck? They're old. They, they you know they're 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 not working. They don't have a boss. They don't. They're not competing for you know women most of the time. You, you know or or for men. Do you think that it's just like? Like, I mean, I know I always loved it when my grandmother would say something dirty. There was an old woman who Jay Leno, I believe, or Letterman would bring on every once in a while to just say, you know, fuck, you can kiss my ass. And it was like the most gangbusters, hilarious thing. So is it is it marginalized or is it they have a right They've they've had their babies or raised a you know had their husband or lesbian lover. They've gotten through work. They've they've gotten through the war. This that and and they're still here. So yeah, cut them some slack if they're saying things that are sexual. I, I think it's both, and they're I think they're actually side two sides of the same coin because yes, they've earned the right to say what they feel because they've been through it. They had their babies, they had their jobs, they had their husbands. Um, but I think that the marginalized part, the way that comes in is when when society treats old women like they're no longer useful and they're no longer fuckable, for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. in some ways, those women, I think, feel like they could run around and with their hair set on fire and people would barely notice them. And so I think that that kind of letting it all hang out and just saying fuck and shit and doing whatever you want is part of that, that you feel like I'm barely getting noticed until I really say something outrageous. But So I, I think it's kind of two sides of the same coin. Well, I mean, Hollywood definitely has little use ordinarily for older women. There's a whole documentary about it with one of right. the, our cats about how you hit 40 and if you're not, you know, 
uh, Meryl Streep, um, you know, you're going to be playing the, the, the mom or the mom who's still, you know, fuckable for a little while, or then mm-hmm. the, the, the kooky mom, or then, you know, the, the, they don't, as you say, they don't build projects much around older people. But um, I, 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 so I saw a play last night starring Monet, you may know the actress. She was from um, um, uh, Orange is the New Black. Udo. Udo Azuba. <laughs> yes, she's Aduba. extremely funny. Udo Azuba. And, and yeah. Yes, a, a complete scene stealer in a play called Clyde's. I went with Flotilla. It was getting ready to close uh, in, in a week. It was absolutely phenomenal. Got $39 tickets. And so there were like, you know, quite a few people of color in the audience. But Mm. also when I saw Udo, who was, you know, playing a woman her own age, which I assume is 35, 40, I don't know. um, She would think, yeah, no, I think she may be, Udo may be a little older than that. But I know she, the only reason I know that is because she had almost quit the business. Things were so hard for her. And then she got Orange is the New Black, so. She's 40. Is she 40? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I mean, she she's a, she's choose the the scenery. Her voice is louder than everyone's. That might have been in her contract, but I'm just kidding. Uh, the <laughs> you always turn the other horse mics down and dim the lights on the other bitches on stage. Just a little <laughs> tip from me and Mae West. Um, <laughs> the so so Mae West used to darken the teeth of her female co-stars so that her smile would be brightest before she hit Hollywood and was doing stage plays on Broadway. I didn't let so, her do that. I would have fucking, I would have right hooked that whore, please. <laughs> well, not if she was your boss. <laughs> I guess. Anyway, sorry, uh, go ahead. So anyway, back to my long-winded story about Udo. So obviously she's very funny. And, uh, and, and this is a part that could have been written for her. And, I sensed a lot of giggles and laughs that almost seemed if they were mixed with nervous titters when she engaged in physical comedy. I mean, whenever she engaged in it, she's a fucking winner of an entertainer. Um, But when she would do stuff that was like overtly sexual, it would get laughs. And I mean, she's, you know, got a very curvaceous body, was wearing high heels and skin tight. I wonder if people are so nervous about sex <laughs> that they that their response is to giggle at it. You know, if they can't from an older from know, an older woman, you're saying specifically? Well, we we don't like to think about old people's sex drives you know few of us want to imagine our parents getting it on and i mean that's uh, what I mean, that's, that's all i envision when i want to get hard my parents fucking but it really gets me going <laughs> okay well so in it just in another, you're just very evolved you're very you. evolved yeah you're very evolved and i don't know how that happens because you look like both of your parents but okay um <laughs> The I don't know how that makes you get hard, but uh, anyway, yeah, you know what I mean. It's like it's like the the, the we don't want to think about old people having sex. So somehow, like Rue McClanahan's character Blanche was, you know, a slut. I mean, that was that she was older. She wasn't didn't have white hair like uh, Sophia and B. Arthur, Dorothy, uh, yeah. but she was a slut. 
So we got to see, yeah, you well, know, I mean, if with this, whether we wanted to see it or not, you know, or whether we tittered at it or giggled at it, I think that's how, you know, I think they were able to get it over, uh, get over the sexual content because it was so fucking funny and well-written. And because we didn't then take it as seriously. If yeah. we think that the idea, if we, the audience, think the idea of these women having sex is ridiculous, then we don't take it as seriously and and start judging them about the values of of premarital sex or extramarital sex, like like a lot of the judgments that were going on, particularly back in the eighties, as long ago as that. So yeah, so maybe we just took it as a joke. I mean, when Sophia would be shown in bed with a guy, the few times that happened, like with <laughs> Caesar Romero or with uh, Jack Guilford, that was a joke. It was a vis- that was a visual punchline. Just seeing her sitting in bed with a man. Yeah, well, it's think- also because because people would remove like to to Bunny's point and your point, people would just remove people that old from sex. Like you just can't fathom that. I, I don't know. It's in the show. Sophia's supposed to be what? Like like us? Uh, I know she was in her sick in late eighties. So yeah. So you you, you I, yeah you you don't think of an eighty year old woman with a high libido trying to trying to fuck. So that so that the that joke the visual of that is really funny. Um, but I do want to what I am very interested in also is the elusive gay character that was eliminated after season one jim what's the tea again that's another reason why i have a few reservations about miss golden girls because they took out a gay character okay but it wasn't after season one it was after episode one and you shouldn't actually in this case i was suspicious too when i first started researching the book what happened to coco the gay house boy who was in the pilot Uh and the answer the really the real answer is that Sophia Estelle Getty was so good that there was no more room in the house because actually NBC wanted a gay character in the show and they mm. commissioned it with a gay character. So you would, I would be like you, I would suspect, oh, it was homophobia back in the eighties. It actually wasn't in oh. this case, but when they taped the pilot, Sophia was supposed to be a recurring character. She wasn't supposed to live in the house and be on every week, oh. but she, just every word out of her mouth Estelle killed. And they realized, okay, we can't service five characters in 20 whatever minutes it was back right, then, 23 right. minutes, and tell stories. And it, they, they just realized that Coco was extraneous. And actually, when you think about it, they also kind of saw, okay, wait a minute. We're talking about that these four women have to be housemates because they need to to afford being able to live. And so then how are they paying this guy? And how mm, are we going to do stories okay. about how they're too poor when they've got somebody waiting on them? And then- for from practical reasons, they also found during the staging that uh, first of all, you could divide the characters two and two when it was just the women, so that works it would, into an A story and a B story. But then also, if they had a houseboy waiting on them, that means when they're doing scenes in the kitchen, they're all kind of trapped at the table. There's no bits of business they can do because they have some. They can't be doing any cooking. And if they get rid of Coco, well, now you can have them moving about, doing bits of business. It makes the staging much more natural. So it actually, yeah, it's funny. Okay. Don't be mad that Coco is gone. Just be happy that Coco was ever here. <laughs> um, and, and they actually, uh, you know, let, cut him out for more practical reasons. They they went and refilmed as much of the pilot as they could to try to cut him out of as much of the pilot as they could so that they could establish the setting. But there were just a few places where they couldn't cut him out of. Right. So uh, that's why he seems like he's in the pilot for a minute and then he's gone for a while and then he's back because it's very disjointed. 
Americana. Monet, okay. are you trying to pretend that you have hardly ever watched the show and now trying to say because it didn't include the gay character that was <laughs> okay? So, well, first so you of know all, all that. You ain't know all that about the fucking pilot and who was supposed to be in it, and you don't even have, ever seen the show. Please, well, first of all, so, and Monet, the, I have a very here's uh, the thing, uh, Meg. A, a good, Watch the show uh-huh. because it has so many other gay characters. Go ahead, but go ahead. I just want to tell you, it's so the show had so many other gay characters where no other show of its time did. So that's that's the thing to make you watch it. But go ahead. Well, my friend Mateo Lane, who Bunny knows, I, um, Jim. I don't know if you're familiar with Mateo. Mateo is a very funny. I am, of course, queer yes. comic. Yes, he's very funny, and he is obsessed with the Golden Girls. And we, we, he. I remember when he was like, "Mona, you need to watch." I was like, "Okay, okay." Now watch the first episode. Like I told y'all. And I, and then I watched I think a, a bit of the like two three or four and I was like girl what happened to the gay guy and he was like oh girl it's a whole scandal that um, Coco got he got taken out of the show because he was too queer at the time and etc I was like oh that's a little shady but now Jim has shed some light on the situation Bunny now okay, I'll take well, a deep dive thank you Jim yeah. that's that's why we had the delight you're welcome. Can I ask you to verify something for me that doesn't have anything to do with Betty White or Golden Girls? Um, Look at Monet. Does she not have horns on her head? She has horns, but they disappear every once in a while. I assume the horns come out when she's saying something particularly bitchy. (laughs) I've seen them every every time I've ever looked at Monet, but I just wanted to get a verifiable proof that she is indeed Satan. (laughs) Girl, what is... Yes, I can tell that she is. That's why I've been watching myself around her. I don't want to get, you know, jabbed. (laughs) Yeah, I have have a little devil horn so I can keep Bunny in line. Uh, Another question I have, Jim. So is it safe to say that Betty was your favorite from the Golden Girls or you just had an affinity to her because of her long career and how she kind of outlived the other girls? I know. (laughs) Uh, God, you know... There were times when Betty was my favorite, and I would I would say that even during the run of the show. Oh, Rose is my favorite. Betty's my favorite. But then again, B is my favorite, and then again, Rue is my favorite, and okay. then again, Estelle is my favorite. It's I I really can't pick because they're all so good. It really was the four perfect women to do the show, mm-hmm. and that's why it's beloved. So uh, the one thing I will say about Betty is that I, as much as I love the others, and I think B in particular, her comic timing will never be rivaled, mm-hmm. but. The thing about Betty is she had the hardest job, and I've seen that since I've really noticed it. The hardest when I watch drag troops. Yes, when I see when I see drag troops do the Golden Girls, uh-huh. it really reinforces this I, this idea that Betty had the toughest role because whereas the other three characters are delivering jokes knowingly, uh-huh. Dorothy when she says something, she knows she's being funny or cunning, and. Sophia knows she's being funny or funny or cutting uh-huh. and Blanche knows she's being slutty and that, that that's funny. When Rose says something, she doesn't know she's saying something funny. She's just being naive. And then so Betty has to deliver a joke as if it's not a joke uh-huh. and just have that blank look in her eyes that Rue gave her credit for saying that if Rue had had to play Rose, which was the original plan, by the way. Oh, really? That, so Betty was uh, going to be the whore. Yeah. Betty was going to be Blanche, yeah. Oh. And they switched it at the last minute. But Rue says, thank God I didn't have to play Rose because Betty found a way for as brilliant as she was in real life, because the woman was really a brilliant, smart woman, that the moment they would yell action, the light would drain out of her eyes and she would just be like glassy-eyed and, and be able to deliver jokes where the brain is is 
making the words come out of Betty's mouth funny, but the eyes aren't showing that she knows it's funny. And that's really hard to do. Oh, great. That's a great analysis. Now, how would you analyze Ebony and Irony? I feel like I have that same <laughs> task here with Bunny. I had to kind of glaze over and just pretend like what she's saying is funny. The opposite. Oh, of, no, you of, don't of, have oh, to. Oh, I thought you were. I thought you were. <laughs> no, you don't have I to glaze over. You just slut. do. Yeah, we're both the sluts. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. Do you, do you think? Uh, do you think like a show like Sex and the City got their? I don't want to say their premise, but I, I think it's safe to say that Golden Girls was a bit of a blueprint for shows featuring four women. Like for a lot of shows, there is the one slutty one. There's the one serious one. There, like I, it, it seems to be a blueprint of women, a show with four women. You are exactly right on, and and I have to say. People have said to me that don't give Golden Girls all the credit because actually the facts of life was before the Golden Girls uh-huh. and it had the butch one and the uh-huh. naive one. and the So facts of life kind of also helped do that with four of them. But the Golden Girls, I think, really cemented that idea that there would be, as Betty called it, four points on a compass. And it would be – and there have been other – discussions of you know one is called one is the archetype is called the baby because it's naive and one is called the something else but the types that we've come to know and yeah i think that it's no coincidence that as much as i love designing women i think it owes a a debt to the golden girls designing women came out one year later and over time we had sex we had desperate housewives we had girls we had noah's ark if if that was men we had girlfriends Mm -hmm. we had living single you know, when you talk about all of these shows that had yeah. four characters that were all kind of the same types with a little bit of tweaks here and there. Right. And of course, in gender and race and stuff like that. But yeah, I think Golden Girls is the progenitor of all of that. Work. And and were the writers gay? Are these writers that were known uh, yeah. for other shows that they went on to do? Or what, what? Tell us a little bit about the writers. Here's the funniest thing. Like most people who watch the Golden Girls, especially if you are gay, you assume that that show must have been written by the biggest bunch of queens yeah. because it has such a gay sensibility. And then I happen to be right now, I'm wearing my Betty White on the Love Boat t-shirt. <laughs> I happen to be right now writing about the Love Boat. And when you think about that, it's like the straightest show ever. It was all straight romances. And you would think that was written by a bunch of straight people and produced by a bunch of straight people. And on both counts, you'd be wrong. Really? The Love Boat had the biggest bunch of queens behind it. And... Golden Girls did not. Now, Golden Girls had a few gay writers over time. Stan Zimmerman and James Berg in the first season. Uh, Rick Kopp later on. I don't want to leave anybody out. There were a few others. There was Mark Cherry and uh, his writing partner, Jamie Wooten. So there were a few over time. Never kind of more than one writing team or one writer at a time. But they certainly were not the majority. And as Mark Cherry told me, that when he got the job on the Golden Girls, his first job on television, and he was joining in season five, Um, he showed up expecting to walk into a writer's room full of queens and he walked in and it was all these straight guys and they were actually talking about a boxing match for that they had seen and he was like oh my god am i in the wrong room what's going on but it was there was just some magic as as people have said straight guys would write words they put them in the mouth of b arthur and it would come out gay and so it was actually straight people and women you know there weren't a lot of women on the writing staff that unfortunately either so it was mostly straight white guys um, with a few exceptions, but the it came out this gay show. It was perfect. Well, they were writing for women, so presumably, if you can, if you're a writer, you're writing for different kinds of characters, whether sex or 
you know, whatever. I mean, the reason it seems gay to me is that they are reading. I mean, they're yes. reading each other. I mean, that's, 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 yes. I mean, they're, 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 it's put down after put down after put down. And obviously they're roommates, you know, so it's not like they're at each other's throats, but yeah, joke writing wise, they're at each other's throats. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so Jim, and, and oh, had it not been for the talent of those actresses, it would have seemed like they hated each other, right? I mean, that's what reading is. It's it's a loving read, and that's what these women were doing. It was the the words may have. Oh been no! Vicious when I read Bunny, I don't the, love her. The, I do not love Bunny. I want to make that very clear. <laughs> she said, "With devil horns." <laughs> Wait, Jim. So you just came from a Golden Girls cruise. I want people to know, Jim's love for Golden Girls is not just uh, uh, watching the show. Jim is doing the Lord's work and really immersing himself in Golden Girls uh, <laughs> culture. How is 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 a cruise like that? In my mind, it's like crazy. Like I, I can't imagine. Like, what do I love? I love Beyonce. Would I go on a Beyonce cruise? Absolutely, and I'll have a great fucking time. Like, is it just what are y'all like? Is is it just playing on TVs all over the ship? Are they like Golden Girls rides? Like, what is a Golden Girls cruise? What is it comprised of? It is really like finding your tribe. You know, a lot of people <laughs> who were on the cruise talked about how in their daily life they will quote a line from the show, and more often than not, have to explain to the person they were talking to what they were what they're quoting, and meeting all these people it's like having this shorthand where we all mm -hmm. know what we're talking about we're all speaking the same language and we all watch the same it's really amazing when you find you know we, we felt as gay people we felt that too right you find when you find your tribe yeah and you have a shorthand with people oh, that you yeah. didn't have growing up so picture that even more concentrated among it's because you're talking about just one show it's it's really amazing the level of love for the show is so high mm -hmm. that and and every night there's costume contests and there's trivia and Word. you know different types of costumes one night you dress as Dorothy, another night you dress as minor characters, another night you it's a pajama party. I love uh, that. The, That's the, so the care that people put Oh, it's great. And the care that people put into decorating their doors like people do on cruise ships Word. and all the costumes. The level of artistry is, first of all, really high, maybe because there are a lot of gay people involved, <laughs> but it's just the level of love and knowledge. And then, as I said, communality is just, it's incredible to feel. And in this case, this cruise happened actually twice before in 2020 because there were two back-to-back -back Golden Girl cruises. It was so popular. And then mm -hmm. they took 20, uh, uh, the 2021 off because of COVID. Mm -hmm. And here we were in 2022 kind of tempting fate with Omicron. But we it was important to all be together because now by terrible, dumb luck, we got together three days after Betty passed away. How was that? And it was a great place to, well, it was a great place to have each other mm. that we could mourn with each other and everybody knew what the other was feeling. And it was a great place to have an unlimited drink package <laughs> while we did that. Yes. There was, there, there was cheesecake well, well, let, 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 me, let me ask day. that because Jay won't appear on the podcast. Yeah. Um, but, okay. but was there an unlimited cheesecake buffet, Jim? Oh, you know it. There was cheesecake every day at the lunch buffet, and you could go there for dinner, too. And there was a cheesecake sail-away party. Oh, there were cheesecake God. lollipops at different points. Mm. And they, oh, yeah. Tell me, now, were there, were there My lollipops women? Obviously, like there were drag queens performing as the Golden Girls on the cruise, right? 
There were, but there were also men, some gay and some straight, dressed as Golden Girls throughout, just as part of the daily activities. And, and, and uh, okay, is is are there a lot of women on this cruise, or is it predominantly gay men? Yes. No, I would say that the two biggest groups of fans, and this isn't to exclude other people because there was a little bit of everything and there should be, mm-hmm. but the big, the two biggest groups are gay men and then also women who watched it with other women, say mother-daughter groups or mother-grandmother mm-hmm. or sisters okay. or friends or sorority sisters who said, let's go on this together. So yeah, the biggest groups were women and gay men, but what was also so great about all these Golden Girl Cruises is how gay-friendly they were, that that the gay fans have kind of merged their gay identity and their Golden Girls fan identity into one thing where there are rainbow flags everywhere. And you're certainly not afraid to, you know, be with your date or go and drag. And it's not like the straight fans are going to be judging you. It was really a room full of love in that way. And that's, again, you know, such a rarefied thing that we all look to, to find. I know there are some women. I was curious about women also on the cruise, Bonet, because you know it's like it's one thing to be a guy and throw on like a gray wig. I don't think many women want to do that. You, you know? do it. <laughs> oh, but Bunny, you'd be wrong. There were plenty of women in gray wigs and pearls and <laughs> old lady dresses and. But Bunny does it all the time, so I don't understand why she would think other other women would want to. uh, uh, As if if pearls would fit around my big neck. Now, um, I want to know how you get a wig over those horns. No, honey, you need. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I want to. Oh, that's that's a lot. And I want you to all wonder how I take a face mask off when I've strapped it around my head uh, you know for COVID precautions and then I glue my wig on top of it and realize that this will be on here for five hours because you cannot remove it without removing your wig (laughs) which is somewhat horrible oh now she's Bonet's got another filter okay anyway so I wanted to ask you um, is this your favorite show and if not it's obviously standout you wrote two books about it what what makes it uh, stand out? I mean, obviously the combination, the writing, the stuff we've already discussed, but but what for you makes this such a standout? I mean, for me, it's because it's so funny. The Golden Girls is my absolute favorite show of all time. Not that there aren't others that I adore and have written books about. So I've been very lucky that I have gotten to focus on so many of my favorites. But if I had to pick one favorite, it is definitely the Golden Girls. And it's for all the things we talked about. It's it's what it meant to me at the time as a young gay man. Certainly, you know, any show that you love, it's where you were in your life at the time and what it meant to you. Uh, it was. It's the fact that it's the absolute best comedy writing out there. It's the absolute best comedy acting out there. Uh, it's the fact that it's timeless because they didn't use a lot of, of current events. They use some, but not a lot compared to other shows, and so it can play forever. Mm-hmm. It's the feeling that you get from it, whether you're gay or not, but gay people feel this a lot where it's a surrogate family, where you've chosen friends to be your family and you're celebrating that love that the world up until maybe this show hadn't acknowledged is an important family unit, the the chosen family. And so it's just, it's validating, it's funny, it's expert, it's timeless, it's everything a show could be across the board. And for a show to get everything absolutely right like that, I mean, I can't think of too many examples where that's ever happened. Maybe I Love Lucy, as I said, and I can't really think of any other show that really can say all that. 
And in your well, so, and in your books, do you dive? Are you in in Betty White lines? So are you diving? For us who have not read it, what what do you do specifically? Are you diving deep into the mystery of this woman who I was thinking about it? She's lived through well. This we're on the end of this one, but two global pandemics. Like she has, she lived a life. Yes. Well, Betty came into the world, I would say, just after the flu pandemic. But you're right. I mean, it was still a very fresh memory in 1922 when she was born. Mm-hmm. Um, and Betty, uh, Betty White Lines is actually the video that my husband and a friend made in tribute to Betty. And I urge everybody to find that on YouTube because it's really fun. But yeah, in, Go- in Golden Girls Forever, I'm paying tribute to all of the women, certainly for who they were. But they all wrote their own bios. And so I didn't really feel the need to really go into all of the credits that they did. But what I did do is talk about the parts of their lives that were relevant to what they brought to those characters and then how the show was put together, how it evolved, what it meant at the time and what it continues to mean to fans. So there's a lot of very in-depth production trivia about why this was like this and why that was like that and how they got their costumes and what the sets were like, all that stuff. But it's also the overarching theme is just look at this show that almost didn't come to be, even today would have a hard time coming to be, and yet is one of the top shows of all time most beloved. And wouldn't it be nice if TV executives realized that and tried uh, more ambitious projects like this more often? Well, I mean, to to me... Whenever one of the Golden Girls cast passed away, there was not just a mourning for the actress herself. There was also a mourning for anyone who was on that show. And there were also a a, 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 a fondness, a, 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 a sense of I miss this nowadays because it was scripted. Excellent actresses, as you mentioned, excellent comic timing. And now there's a lot of reality TV, which is like, let's throw these real housewives, you know, at a restaurant and not invite one to the birthday party and then start some drunken, you know, fight that's totally unscripted that doesn't rise to the level. I mean, which I'm some would argue all- takes more acting chops than the Golden Girls. Some. I'm not some, but some would argue that. Okay, I wouldn't argue that. I would say that with, I mean, I watch quite a few Real Housewives, so I'm I'm not pointing a finger at people who do, but I, I think that's like comparing uh, uh, eating eating candy for dinner to a lifetime of nutritious food, because like the these moments on Real Housewives, they're entertaining in the moment. Yeah. I certainly, if I see, oh, there's a fight coming up, I want to see it, I'm human, but it doesn't change me or affect me as a person or make me think deeply about myself or the world. It just makes me think, oh, look at these pigs fighting. It's interesting to watch for a moment. But uh, when you watch something like you know, the Golden Girls, you're watching something that could move you and could change what you think as a person. Some of the issues they took on were things I either hadn't thought about when I was watching mm-hmm. in my teens and 20s or things that were bring, shedding light on important issues that still plague us today. Um, I can't say The Real Housewives is doing that very often. Maybe occasionally one of them does some really good charity work, which I applaud them for, but it's uh, it's apples and oranges. Yeah. Yes, but it's also, it's a completely different art form to have 
set designers instead of throwing some hoes up in a restaurant. It's a completely different right. mindset to write a script and have actresses memorize it. Um, and you want them to get to deliver it as well as you can, rather than reality TV trying to trip someone up when they make a mistake and that or an argument gets rating. So, I mean, reality TV is became... Uh, you know, I'm not saying that there aren't entertaining train wrecks. One that I liked was uh, um, Anna Nicole Smith, who was so beautiful and Great so show. fucked up. I didn't really, really, I mean, she, you know, but but it, it is it is about train wrecks over talents honed over years of the writers, of the producers, of the editors, of everything, of, of the actresses. And I, I, I always feel like Golden Girls was one of the last shows and I'm not th that that stood the test of time because of its writing and because of its acting. And so reality TV has neither acting nor scripts. And I just I would disagree. I, 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 I would say Will and Grace to me. I would disagree, too, in a way. Yeah. Will and Grace is one of those I, I, shows. Yeah, go ahead, I, 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 I feel like Will and Grace is the show. Again, I didn't watch it when it was out because I was what? I was seven, six, seven when it came out. But like watching it later on in my life, I was like, the jokes are still funny. The jokes are still current. And I feel like, and that's just one example. I'm not saying that's the only one. People are going to be like, oh, Monet, you think that's, that, I'm not saying that's only one. But quickly it comes to mind. I think, I, I think there have been others since the Golden Girls, for sure. Well, right. And by the way, Will and Grace is my second favorite show of all so time. Good. And it's the first book I wrote. But and getting to spend time on that set was incredible when they were in production. But I, I think it's actually we don't have to pit reality shows versus the Golden Girls and say which is better, because the 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 truth is there is so much real estate out there in terms mm -hmm. of entertainment hours and networks and venues to watch things. And they all demand programming. And so you can spend your whole life watching reality shows and nothing but if you want. You could spend your whole life watching scripted and nothing but if you want. There are just so many places to go. As you said, Monet, there's so much to catch up on and, so and binge much. and stream that it doesn't matter to me. I don't get offended when I see a reality show being advertised that I think I would never watch. And I, as I said, I do watch some of them. I'm not a purist. But when I see one that, oh, God, that looks stupid, because let people enjoy it. I, you know, I don't want to harsh what they like. Let them enjoy it because it doesn't take away from the brilliance of the Golden Girls. And I do think that there have been shows since that will stand the test of time. As I said, Friends, The Office, Parks and Rec, a lot of a lot of brilliant shows, and there will continue to be. So yeah. I, I'm not so – I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't worry, Bunny. Um, I – I'm quite certain that the reason that reality TV is popular is because it's it, it producers like making cheap stuff. They it's don't cheap. have to pay actors. They don't yeah. have oh, to, yeah. to to get a, a set. They don't have to pay writers. I would they disagree just... though. Like look at a show like Drag Race. Hey, you, you you look at a show like Drag Race. First of all, yeah, I get it. They're not making like Golden Girl salaries because I, I I I assume towards the end of their legacy. So towards the end of the um the tenure of, of the of, of the series, they were probably making who knows how many how much how many millions per season. But a show like that, like reality competition shows and reality shows, I think they pump a lot of money into these motherfuckers are walking away with millions of dollars at the end of uh, a 10 week program. Yes, it's not Real Housewives of Atlanta. Each cast member is getting paid like millions of dollars for the whole season. So I don't think it's cheaper. I just think that people I, are just people are people's interests have changed and they've peaked differently in 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 in, in the current state of television. I, I think people realize with Susan Powder 
and the stop the insanity uh, infomercials <laughs> that they could really just put anything on TV and that people would eat it up. I mean, I think that was the 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 birth of reality TV, which is about cutting corners. And even though Anini Leaks or Bethany Frankel, you know, may make millions, um, is Orion's story kicked off first? Uh, you know, from the new season of Drag Race, are, are, they don't make millions. I mean, you know, this the the, the whole thing. But these about are also people who are going TV on to have you, careers you, after, right? But you but you don't need. Well, that's, but you don't you don't you don't need to pay. You don't need to pay contestants who want to be models. Yeah, on, I think uh, I think I think maybe Housewives is, is a better comparison than drag than, than a competition show. We look at a show like Housewives of Atlanta again, each of these women is, are walking away with like millions of dollars at the end of to, to, when they sign on to film a season of the show. So they're getting paid a lot of money to do Well, this from show. my understanding though, Monet, from my understanding they actually aren't that the salaries on the show aren't really what they make the money on, which is why they all do so many secondary businesses where they're capitalizing on their fame to, but you're, I mean, they, I, I think that some of them get paid decent and certainly as they get more popular, they have more power. Uh, in general, reality shows are cheaper and that was one of the original appeals for putting them on the air. But that doesn't mean that there isn't, Bunny, we happen well, to be but, in like but, a second golden age of let, TV right let me, too. So. That's true. Let me add, add this. There's scandals every year or two about the Real Housewives trying to going broke, going bankrupt um, to try and, uh, you know, present themselves as rich, you know, when they're not. So it's like it's, it's like so cheap that they're like pushing rich people as rich people who aren't even rich because they couldn't be bothered to get a real rich person or a real rich person wouldn't want to do it. I mean, oh, but you they know, also I mean, say, but but they, they also look at celebrities who every who a lot of celebrities these days they're always they're always in the National Enquirer. Like that is a part of celebrity is creating scandals so that people are constantly talking about you. Like that's that's not a new thing with reality TV, which that scandal. Scandals for celebrities are is as is as old as celebrity is. It all it's always been a thing, regardless if it's reality TV, scripted TV, movies, whatever it is. Well, and every kind of celebrity fakes like they have more money than they do. But Hello. when you are filling a show with unknowns, and yeah. as, as, as then then you are not paying them. <laughs> reality TV, even though you know some like Drag Race does write stuff, you know, like the Rusicals and you know stuff like that. It is. It is produced, you know. It's not like just you know straight up. But, I mean, that I think that was. And the a show like that does have a great effect on society. I, you know, when I said before that reality shows don't necessarily take on the issues like Golden Girls did, I'm not right. You know, again, that was too. I was painting it with too broad a brush because Rue's uh, show certainly does bring a lot of issues to light and help heal a lot of people. So it does. It's it's a it's a it does the fine line. I think it does. <laughs> I think there are a lot of young gays out there who see themselves and see hope in that show and see the coming out stories of those contestants. So I think that show does a lot of good. And, and so, they, so again, they don't it's, see it's, the shade. And the, so they don't see the shade and the insults and the I'm going to take that crown. And they don't see that. They see the they see only the 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 Rue pretending to care. I think they see both. But that's life. I, th I think they, they milk. See both. That's, I think that's they life. milk sob stories that because that's what reality TV c contestant shows do. They they they're too cheap to pay for these queens to come on and do a lip sync number of a song that they do in their real act. 
So they just have two. But that's not what people want to see. We are in we're in an adjective where people want to see drama. They want to see tears. They want to see fighting. They don't want to see some bitch come out here and lip sync um to Whitney Whitney Houston million dollar bill unless she's gonna go home and she's fighting for her life. They want to see them go on TV and having drama and creating and creating like a hoopla and making us and because that's what people want to see. They want to people want to see tragedy on TV. And if it's not gonna be a scripted tragedy like like Golden Girls or Hill and Grace or whatever scripted show it is and have the sad episode. Or, or comedy, they want to see reality people go through "quote unquote" reality and sadness and darkness on TV. Mm, oh, but but you see that Golden Girls and Will and Grace were not tragedy. No, I'm, I'm saying and I'm I saying they want to see scripted I, something. Well, I I I comedy I tragedy. Think, I think they want to see tragedy in terms of this. Reality has made stars of the train wrecks who may have no talent other than being loud and rude. You know, I mean, look at New York from, uh, you know, I love New York. She is very talented. Jim, are you a New York fan? In my opinion, New York Tiffany Pollard is one of the greatest reality TV actresses we have ever seen. She is able to, to electrify a television no matter what role she's playing, she is brilliant in her in the way that she portrays herself on t- on, on reality tele- on on reality TV. And I one hundred percent believe that it is a talent to do so. How she was on um on on Flavor of Love, how she was on on her own spinoff she got, how she was on on Celebrity Big Brother UK. It is a talent to be that what she does on television. One thousand percent. Horrible. It's a talent to be horrible. Okay. I disagree. That sums Jim, up the younger Jim, generations. Jim, please weigh in, Jim. Uh, Monet, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a Monet here and say I know who New York is, but I have never seen her in anything. Well, so let, let cannot, me tell you, let, let me tell you this: uh, she was competing for the love of the uh, ugly junkyard dog, Flavor Flav, and uh, she was such a bitch that she got her own show and brought her even more evil mother on the show. And this is what Monet thinks is great. And she was the only person who was able to take her <laughs> her five minutes, her 15 minutes of fame on the first. She was the only person to take her 15 minutes and make it into the empire for herself that she has. Now she's her own brand. Then- she has her own, she has her own um, um, nail polish. She has like she has built a brand from that one season of Flavor of Love. She's had like 18 other shows after that. I think that takes oh, down great. like Kim K. Someone I hate, someone I hate and has no talent has a nail polish. Let me make sure I run out and get that. (laughs) (laughs) As you say, we've lived through two golden ages of TV, the 50s and, uh, you know, the the 80s. Now you're doing, and speaking of, of shows, you see, Monet, this is what I grew up with, with shows like All in the Family that were sitcoms and there were tons of laughs, but you would literally cry when they would bring up women's liberation and uh you know the edith bunker would stand up to uh her somewhat bigoted old-fashioned husband so i mean it did bring in you know uh ideas of the sexual revolution and stuff like that in between the laughs and i have to say that there was hardly any episode of all in the family that i didn't cry while you know, watching. At one point, they had um, a transvestite give Archie mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, 
and he wanted to thank her and didn't know that she was a transvestite. So, I mean, you know, this is, that, that is kind of, you know, ad, advanced to make you think about a racism due to their neighbors. I mean, it was, it, it made you think about, you know, real stuff in really profound ways written by really talented, you know, writers. So that's what I grew up seeing. And I saw the same kind of stuff on the Golden Girls. Are there any uh, moving moments from your two books that you could give us the inside scoop on or episodes that we sh should definitely see to see Betty doing her thing? Tell us a little bit about the, the character and maybe some of her key episodes because she was very wacky, daffy, ditzy. Um, the other girls were quite cutting. And, uh, you know, she would always regale everyone with the, you know, when everyone would roll their eyes when she would start off with a, a tale from the town she grew up in, in the Midwest, St. Olaf's. And it was, and, and, and it actually her humor was quite ridiculous when recounting these tales. So they made it quite ridiculous so that the other girls could roll their eyes, right? Definitely. Rose Nyland was, we later found out, an adopted girl into the Lindstrom family and grew up in St. Olaf, Minnesota, where apparently everyone is insane and incredibly stupid. But what's really fun about those St. Olaf stories she would tell is that they were really surrealist paintings they would be, and they had great punchlines. And the writers had so much fun every week topping what they had done before and coming up with more and more outrageous stories from St. Olaf. But Rose, in coming from St. Olaf, was, I guess, like everyone else in town, incredibly naive. The, the writers tried to distinguish between naive and stupid, although sometimes they would cross the line into stupid. But Rose was just mm -hmm. really naive. She took everything literally and at face value. She was very – like Betty herself Betty, – Betty was brilliant and not naive. But like Betty, Rose was very sunny and optimistic and saw the best in people and – it was a great counterpoint to people like Dorothy, who was more pessimistic and would be Arthur's character and kind of the opposite. And so what what was so fun about Rose, as I said, is that a lot of the times when she was being funny, Betty had to act as if she didn't know it was funny. But Rose could also be used as kind of an everyman for the audience into some of these shows that touched on issues. And it, particularly if you're an LGBT audience member, you'll really enjoy episodes like uh, isn't it romantic in which Dorothy's lesbian friend comes to visit and falls in love with Rose and Rose, oh. you know, being the innocent, naive one has to learn how to deal with that and how to let her down easy. Uh, there's episodes where. And they, uh, they handled that so beautifully. They handled that beautifully. They did, they did handle it beautifully. For, for 1985, they handled that. I remember that. Yes. And, and that's very early on in the show. There's episodes where Blanche's gay brother Clayton comes to visit and Rose is the one he first comes out to. And you would think maybe as being the Midwestern one, he might've thought she was the most sheltered and wouldn't understand, but she was also the most pure of heart. And she really helped heal the issue that developed between him and Blanche when Blanche didn't at first accept him. There's a really great episode uh, later in the series called 72 Hours which is based on a real life story that happened to one of the Golden Girls writers and his mother, uh, where Rose is informed by the hospital that when she had a recent surgery, she was inadvertently exposed to HIV antibodies. And at the time, an HIV test and its results took 72 hours, took three days. 
And this is the story of how Rose reacts to possibly finding out she might have HIV and all of the torment oh. she goes through and funnies along the way. And it really was one of the first times network television sitcoms addressed that HIV even existed and showed what people go through and it, it said important things about how AIDS is not God's judgment because Rose at first thought, why am I the one going through this when it should be Blanche, which was of course a terrible first reaction to have. So if you're mm -hmm. looking for Betty moments, there's a, there's another one, uh, there's a great vignette episode. And those are like, they call, they're called that because they're like three little story mini stories with a wraparound story around them. But the vignette is Rose reliving how she moved to Miami from St. Olaf and we see her throw a, a, a birthday party and, and bake a birthday cake for her already dead husband, Charlie. And she, Betty gives this monologue about how it's time for her to move on, even though she loves Charlie and it's time to move to Miami. And that shows such acting chops from Betty. We all know she could be funny. And I think B. Arthur being a theater snob in a way, didn't necessarily know the side of Betty that could be could rip your heart out too, because Betty to be Betty was a woman who had done talk shows and game shows, and B was ready to be a snob about Betty not having the same chops. And then you put Betty in a dramatic scene, and she can rip your heart out. So, if you want to see all the different flavors of her, I would recommend all those. How, how did the girls get along? For the most part, for most of the permutations, pretty good. Estelle was beloved by everyone. The only thing is she did have not only stage fright because she was working with actresses who had done sitcoms forever, and this was Estelle's first one. And Estelle was used to doing a theater piece, Torch Song Trilogy, which she had memorized once. And here sitcom lines change all the time. And you have to change, you have to roll with the punches. So Estelle had stage fright that fed on itself, but she also probably had the beginnings of her dementia that, so with all of that, Estelle would forget lines and it would be difficult for her to get through scenes and it would cause delays. So the only reason there was ever tension with her was over delays that they thought she was just not trying hard enough sometimes. And they regretted feeling that way later. Um, the real tension on the show, if there, because most of the permutations worked pretty well was between B and Betty and really? they were, they were really cut out to have tension because they could not have been more different. God has a sense of humor in casting them together because whereas Betty was sunshiny and happy and, and optimistic and outgoing and was the host if someone came on the show and she welcomed you, B was pessimistic, vulnerable, somewhat insecure, uh, had a dark cloud over in some ways. Um, and and she didn't – Betty's sunniness got on her nerves. Then you add to the fact that, as I said, B came from the theater. Betty came from live TV. B came from Norman Lear sitcoms where everything was very intense and theatrical and issue-based. Betty came from a more happy, character-based, more wide-shot Mary Tyler Moore show with a different style. Um, they just – even in, in the ways they rehearsed, Betty would be off book, as they say. Betty would know the script by heart practically the first day they ever read it out loud at a table and B would have to be on book until the very end, clutching her lines. Um, B wow, would I've seen so many parallels be... between this show, um, them and Ebony and I, this is very interesting. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, and B would not want to break character during a taping between scenes. Betty could go in and out of character and greet the audience and play with them and, and keep them happy. And so everything about them was just diametrically opposed and B, as I said, was 
whereas Betty had that grandmotherly sweet exterior, one great thing to her credit is that she also had such balls of steel that she could live 99 years and perform almost all of them till the very end because she had such inner strength and confidence. And B was the exact opposite. People saw that she was tall and imposing and they assumed that she was like Dorothy and Maud, where she was a tough broad and she was anything but. She was a mush ball. She was easily hurt. She was vulnerable. And I think that because B also could not stand what she called bullshitters, she saw the inner strength in Betty and how Betty came off as this sweet grandmother. And she viewed that as bullshit. In other words, Betty, cut the shit. You're not this sweet grandmother. You've got balls mm -hmm. of steel. I think you can be both. I, I understand how a person can be both, can be both, but I also see how it set off B's bullshit meter. And so, yeah. so he found it that funny to call Betty names and to have her as a nemesis on the show. I think it kind of helped her deal with all their differences. It wasn't particularly fair to Betty, but it was it it became a, a well known thing on the set about uh, the animosity. Work. And and Jim, you asked you us if you could oh, you asked if you could say the C word. Well, <laughs> B B had a nickname for Betty, and it was almost Pavlovian. And I mean, I know even this lasted well into later years. It wasn't just on the show. And B, as I said, she milked it for comedy. She knew she was being funny. So I don't necessarily think it was all genuine. I think it was partly for laughs. But if you'd say Betty's name to B, it was like a Pavlovian response. The growl would start on the bottom. It would be, cunt. And so <laughs> you knew what you was coming. Just like you sound just like my mom. You sound just like my mom. Jim, you are just a wealth of knowledge. It has been a true pleasure having you here on Ebony and Irony Podcast. You're great. I wish we could replace you with Bunny. We can't end on the word cunt. We have to end on lovely things about Betty because we have to. I have to say there will never be another person who literally, I mean this literally, was around when they were turning on the first television experimental cameras in 1939 in Los Angeles, and she was on the screen. And she was around in the late wow. 40s when the industry started wow. in earnest. And she lasted until 2021, working until almost the very end. And I, I, I would say this about Dolly Parton too, and may, may she live forever. I, the, Betty and Dolly are the only two stars I can think of, let me know if you'd add to this list, who are universally beloved, that no matter what side you're on, right or left, no matter what generation you're from, you never hear anybody say, oh, that Betty White was overrated or that Betty White wasn't funny or I didn't like her. Everyone loves her. She just had that. It was a combination of talent and brains and charm that is so rare and unfortunately seems to be getting rarer. And because she had such longevity, I think we all thought we'd have her forever. And she went out on, you know, with, with her expert surprise comic timing on New Year's Eve. But uh, I will never forget her. And thanks to reruns, the world won't either. As Amen. my friend uh, Divine Grace said, Betty would do anything to get out of performing at that 100th anniversary. <laughs> um, uh, now, she was known as the first lady of television because of her early uh, show. I mean, she was the first lady of television before people had TV. And, and well before her, her TVs. So she was a, a talk show host? She, in the early, late 40s and early 50s, went on television in Los Angeles on a local station there 
that this was before formats had been invented, before scripts would be written. She would be doing five and a half hours a day, six days a week, purely ad-libbing and improv and singing. There was no script, and she'd do the commercials in between. When they would get to take a break, she'd have to do the commercial and read it. So uh, it was trial by fire, but talk about someone who learned the TV the hard way. She was inventing yeah. it as it went along. Wow. Yes, and uh, it's, uh, this may interest you, Monet. Mm -hmm. In this was, this was, you're talking about the Betty White Show, correct? There were like three or four things called the Betty White Show, but she was on something called Hollywood on television very, very early on in L.A. Uh, she had a sitcom that grew from sketches on that called Life with Elizabeth. She had many vehicles along those lines. Oh, she had yeah. many vehicles along those uh, in that era that with different titles and a lot of things called the Betty White Show. Yes, and there is a PBS documentary, Betty White, First Lady of Television, which is on Netflix. Now, in the 1950s, White faced criticism for featuring Arthur Duncan, a black tap dancer and singer, on a few episodes of her variety talk show, The Betty White Show. And uh, Duncan said that Betty gave him his first big break. Quote, I credit Betty White for really getting me started in show business. In this documentary, White described that all through the South, there was this whole ruckus. They were going to take the show off the air if we didn't get rid of Arthur because he was black. And Betty said something like, deal with it. No, live with it. I'm sorry, but he stays and went on to feature Arthur's, uh, you know, tap dancing and singing uh, on several episodes, which, I mean, that wasn't real. That was like, that was, that was during segregation. Uh, yes, I'm and curious. That's Why would you think I would find that interesting, Bunny? I'm very. I don't. I don't understand. <laughs> um, because you are a singer and a dancer okay. and a male looking for their first break. Okay. okay. <laughs> What's interesting <laughs> is that, that a story. As far as I know, that story only came to light in the past decade or so that it was more publicly known. So that's ears. Betty, Betty was doing wonderful things, including all the work she did for animals. My God. But she was doing wonderful things for different communities all through her life. And uh, yeah, I, I think when the special was being made, that's when I learned what she did for Arthur Duncan. And it, it in a way it cost her a little bit because that show did get canceled eventually not too mm -hmm. long after that con uh, for other reasons too, but it was partly because the South wasn't watching. But Betty stood uh, stuck to her guns and her values throughout, and it, she was really incredible. And they, they kind of, towards the last few years, kind of uh, played a game. Like, every time she was trending, they would be like, oh, no, I know she hasn't gone, especially after all three, you know, Golden Girls had uh, passed away. Jackie Beat has a, the brilliant drag comedian, who you know, has a had a hilarious joke. She would come out, she would be introduced and she would come out and say, you know, guys, hi, listen, I've got some really bad news. Betty White has passed away and everyone grabbed their phones. Jackie may have been doing this joke um, before people had phones. They grabbed their phones uh -huh. to like check. And then she said, Jackie would say, I'm just kidding. I just wanted to get your attention. So, <laughs> if, I mean, the joke wouldn't work if Betty's death weren't on so many people's minds. I mean, Betty played along with the joke as well, right? Yes. I can even think of an episode of 30 Rock she did where she did a cameo because two other stars had died and everybody was worried about her and Tracy 
Tracy Jordan, Tracy Morgan's character calls her and she says, this isn't a rule of threes thing, is it? So we were all joking about Betty's possible demise for decades before she died because she lived to 99. I think it's because we like to make jokes out of the things that scare us, first of all. But also, I also the, uh, kind of the reverse of that, I think that none of us ever seriously thought we'd lose her. She seemed like she'd been around forever. She was around before just about anyone on this earth who's alive now. She was around when we turned on our televisions. It just seemed like how could there be a world without Betty? And so it was funny to joke about because in a way it seemed safe. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, of course, on another level, we all know that everyone is going to, to pass away. Right. And Betty had said that she doesn't fear death, if I'm unless I'm mistaken, because she wanted to rejoin in heaven the love of her life, Alan Ludden. Yes. That, am I getting that right? Yes, yes. So, so she So I mean a lot of people were were upset, but I think, you know, hey, if you made a lot of people laugh, you you you've lived a full yes, life bitch. and you Let certainly this woman seem to rest. Be a- this woman, she has lived a long life. She wants to rest. She's like, I am tired of being out here. She's like, this world is stressful. This motherfucking pandemic won't end. She's like, not again. She's like, get me the fuck up out of here. I'm ready to go home. Yeah, I don't even call care my Uber. About- I'm ready to go home. <laughs> um so- she- we we, I, we should wrap up, but I di- we didn't talk anything about how I fell in love with uh, Betty on Mary Tyler Moore, which was a mm. newsroom. Uh, what was it? Was that like nineteen seventies, early seventies? It's a newsroom situation, and Betty played a very different kind of character who was like a a very prim and proper home homemaker. Like a she would she was on the network to give to do cooking shows or household tips or whatever. But then when the cameras were off, Betty was the slut. Could you talk right. a little bit about uh, Betty on the Mary Tyler Moore show? Cause the Mary Tyler Moore show is, I mean, Monet, if you don't remember that, but Mary, Tyler, if you ever want to catch up on some excellent TV, woo, Mary I've Tyler heard about Moore. It, never seen. Oh, so good. Yeah. It was 1970 to 77. Although Betty came in a few seasons in and uh, as as she tells it, and as Mary used to tell it, they were looking, they had this, the idea for this Sue Ann Nivens character, and they were looking for someone who they described because Mary and her husband, Grant Tinker, were friends with Betty and Alan Ludden. So they were describing, uh, you know, we need a Betty White type. Until eventually they thought, why don't we just get Betty White? Maybe they didn't just get Betty White because Betty at that time was already in her 50s. And they were maybe thinking the character would be younger if she was going to be sexy. Remember what they thought about women and sexuality back then. But boy, did Betty play the hell out of it. And that's why when the Golden Girls was coming along in 1985, when Betty was now 63, uh, here they were ready to cast her as Blanche because she had already played the slut on the Mary Tyler Moore show. And it seemed like such a natural progression, but it was only when they flip-flopped it that history was made, of course. But uh, that's, Betty made such a name for herself as Sue Ann that for a while, people, that's all people were going to see her as until Rose came along. Right. See, that's why I've avoided success. I don't want to be pitching her, Tim. <laughs> well, you know, no, Bunny, that to- is really When I think of you, I just think, I think of a blank slate, Bunny. So, you, you know, you could fill <laughs> no, that in any time now. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, you sure can't fool her in any time. Um, that is that is a very true statement, Jim. Jim, thank you so much for being here. You have been fabulous, very knowledgeable, and I think our viewers are going to love this little episode about lovely Betty. And to make sure to check out Jim Colucci's The Q Guide to Golden Girls Pop Culture Out There Guide. Now, that's a gay 
series, right? The Q Guide? It is. It is. Now, that book's out of print, but if you want that information plus more, uh, find Golden Girls Forever, which is available in on Amazon and wherever fine books are sold. Amen. Okay, so that's Golden Girls Forever, an unauthorized look behind the lanai. And I'm embarrassed because I'm not from Florida, um, but I didn't know what a lanai is. It's a porch <laughs> that's yes. closed in. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm country. But so all kinds of tidbits, you know, just a a frat. You've given us a fraction of what is in these books, but definitely check those books out. Golden Girls Forever, an unauthorized look behind the lanai by Jim Colucci. Thank you so much, Jim. Is there a website if people want to check out your other um, books? Because you said you're writing one on the, the love boat. And I knew there was somebody gay involved with that when Ann Miller and Charo kept popping up. But um, <laughs> <laughs> that is but, true. Yeah. Um, but uh, that can is there a website where people can check out all of your books? Well, you can check, you can find information on all of them on jimcolucci.com, J-I-M-C-O-L-U-C-C-I.com. The most recent one being the book I co-wrote with Norman Lear, uh, that came out this past November called All in the Family, the show that changed television. So again, if you want to talk talk about another historic, groundbreaking sitcom, check that out. And your husband, Frank DeCaro, has a wonderful book called Drag, Combing Through the Big Wigs of Show Business. Although why I happen you- to like the audio book better. Oh, why is like that, Jim? Why? Because someone, other than Frank, someone does a great uh, voice read in it. Oh, that would be Lady Bunny. Do you know the funny thing about that, Jim, is that I actually was at it at that time being um, diagnosed with acid reflux. And one of the things Ew. it does is it crawls up your throat at night until I had my bed fixed to where it's not, it's at an angle and sizzles your vocal cords. So I didn't know that that was what was happening, but I kept, when I would go to record, I was like, you know, it was fairly long days. I was like, you sound like fucking Miss Vanjie's grandfather. <laughs> so I haven't listened to it, but it is a great book on, you know, a drag from drag race to lip sync up. Yes, it is a wonderful book. And as I said, a wonderful audiobook. Thank you, Bunny. Yeah, so y'all were like super gays, drag books, uh, Golden Girls Cruises, uh, Golden Girls books. I mean, y'all are like a LA gay in the know power couple. We're just afraid power they're going to take away. Power right. bottoms couple. Thank well, you thank so much, you. Jim. Starbanes Audio, a podcast, <clears throat> a podcast network.